0: Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. welcome uh i'm so glad that you're here today uh real quick uh for the last four weeks i've had this table and chair out here and uh i really grew to like it and then the other thing is is that i hurt my knee so uh i thought well it works because if my if my knee gives out on me i'll be able to sit down and talk to you and so anyway so that's why the table is out here normally uh i would have like a pulpit out here i'd be walking around but uh we'll see i might try i'll try to walk around and if i can't walk around i'll sit down for a little bit so anyway how's everybody doing Hey, Merry Christmas to you. It's the first Sunday in December. It is officially here. You can put up your decorations now and you can finally play your Christmas music. Isn't that a rule that ought to exist? That you can't play Christmas music until at least after Thanksgiving for crying out loud? Woo, after Halloween. Anyway, uh, so let's, let's talk real quick here. Here's what I know about you, uh, and here's what I know about me, and here's what I know about life, that life is stressful. All on its own, it's just stressful. Like, it doesn't matter that the holiday's here or not. The holiday just magnifies that there is, is stress. And so um, I was thinking about this idea of stress because the Bible has a lot to say about stress. And, and I thought, you know what? There's something about the holiday season that just seems to take your normal stress dial and just crank it up a little bit. And so when I think about my stress, this is what I thought about, and I bet you're a lot like me, that this is where my stress comes from in life. That That number one, stress comes from trouble. Everybody say trouble. So uh, that'll get there eventually. So trouble is where your stress comes from. I remember the first time I ever felt stress I was in middle school. I was a troublemaker all throughout middle school and high school. And so I was the class clown, I was the one always into something, doing something bad. Wh- whatever, I was I was not a good kid. And I remember getting sent to the principal's office. His name was Gary Long. And he had my mother's name. He, he was on a first name basis with my mom. She goes, well, I'm gonna have to call Sue. And so... You know it's bad when Dr. Gary, Mr. Gary Long is a first name basis with your mom, pretty much has mom on speed dial. Me and my brother were in the principal's office a lot. But I remember I was in so much trouble and I remember I was sitting there and I remember him questioning me about why I had done said bad thing. And I remember sweat for the first time ever. is like a milk of sweat dripping down my body. I'm like, oh, what's happening to me? And so what I realized was, is that this is the genesis of, of much of our stress in life, that when we get into trouble, or when we do bad things, or, or let me just put it like this. How many of you can just recognize that anytime I disobey the law, I invite stress into my life, right? Does that make sense? Like if you're on the run, that's a little bit stressful, right? If you're in and out of prison, that's stressful. That's, that's bad. But, but what's even more true is this, is anytime I really disregard the commands of God, the laws of God, the principles of scripture, whatever I do that, even though it might not be illegal in the, in the court's eyes, I'm still inviting stress, undue stress into my life. And so sometimes stress comes from trouble. Here's where else it comes from. Stress also comes from number two, responsibility. Isn't that true? Like, cause when you were young and the The purpose and intent of your life was to be great at Super Mario? That's low stress. It wasn't even that stressful to play because back then you only had two buttons. Remember, there was a little pad on the left and then you had two red buttons. And just trying to avoid, you know, a duck was your biggest concern. At the time, and then all of a sudden you get older, and all of a sudden you got to pay the mortgage, or you got responsibility, you got children to feed, you got these, you got this job to maintain, and so responsibility, as a matter of fact, I remember this, when I was 21, it was the first time that I had a full-time pastoring position, and I had to take over this really big youth group from this legendary youth pastor. And I remember for the first time in my life, as a matter of fact, this is why my hair is the way that it is, is because I remember the first time I'm like, babe, my hair is thinning out. Like I was so stressed from this incredible responsibility in life. And so sometimes, and that's not a bad thing. Responsibility is a good thing, but it can sometimes, it can sometimes wear you out. So here's another one that I found in my personal life that just a lack of time. That whenever my time is crunched, whenever I don't, I remember I was, uh, I don't know how old I was, it was back in 05 though, and, and, back in 05 I was a part of a building project. And I remember I was leading a youth ministry and heading up a building project at the exact same time, and I don't think my wife saw me for, for days on end. And that was like long nights and long days, and I was, it's just so, and so just a lack of, can I get an amen when you ain't got no time? That's, that's, here's another one, uh, uncertainty that'll stress you out. Whenever you think about your future and your future looks uncertain and you're like, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how this is going to come together. I don't know with your job, with your relationships. Anytime there is uncertainty and there's this unknown, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. There's just, oh my God. And so anyway, there's uncertainty. And here's another one, just people. Oh my Lord, have mercy. People can flat wear you out. Now, as a pastor, like I have to deal with people, and so people, you know, like there's nothing worse than as a pastor, you got to deal with some critical, nasty, divisive person. They're just they're wearing you out. Hey, but but you know, you got people, you got in laws and outlaws, and and peoples, and coworkers, and bosses. Anybody got to But yeah, don't raise your hand. You got all kinds of stuff. And here's one. I'll give one more just just for dicing on the cake. Money, money can stress you out, like especially when there's not enough money. That stresses you out. Like when you when you think about financial pressure, it just is because that's what stress is. So stress, I don't know if you know this or not, but stress was originally used as a construction term or even like a physics term because they were talking about the amount of force on an object, right? And so how much can it hold? How much can it handle? It was almost like think of a beam and they're like, let's put some weight on that. Oh, it's starting to bowl a little bit. Hey, let's see how much more it can handle. Put a little more on that. Put a little more. And that's how we live our lives sometimes is that we're this this living soul, but yet we keep just putting more on top of ourselves. And the more of this we put on ourselves, we finally reach a point where you look to your friends or you look to your spouse or you look to you like, I'm done. I'm stressed out. Now, here's what's crazy about this. Again, Christmas seems to ramp this up a little bit, doesn't it? because during the holiday season we have even less time because i got like the the staff christmas party and then i got the i got this this party i got christmas eve eve party i got ugly christmas sweater party i got christmas eve candlelight service and then i got christmas day and then my mother in law is going to be in town and then i got and so, so i don't have a lot of time and i've got people. And I've got, so it just seems like we take what ought to be the most joyous time of the year. And we take all the things that would normally stress us out. And we say, you know what, let's just put on more. We love you, baby Jesus. And so, so anyway, that's kind of what we do now. Now here's something that's interesting. We used to look at stress and look at all stress and say, just stress is bad because there's all kinds of medical stuff that says stress is killing you right? Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but like when you live with stress, apparently like your arteries start to tighten up. Like the blood flow is all, is all restricted because everything's all tightened up inside. And that's why, you know, maybe your hair's thinning out or that's why you can't sleep. You ever been so stressed you couldn't sleep good at night, tossed and turned. And then, so all these things are, are health related. They're not really good for you. They're killing you. And if you look at the number of Americans that, that are, On some type of antidepressant pill, some type of, we're trying to cope, we're trying to manage, we're trying to figure out. And now here, now, so here's what's changed though. It used to be that we just looked at stress and said stress is bad and it's killing us. And that's partially true. But now what they're discovering is, is that actually what's killing you is not just stress, it's the way that you look at stress. That there are people that are like, I'm stressed out and it's killing me. And it is. And there are other people that are stressed out and they're like, you know what? I'm stressed out, but you know what? God's with me and I'm going to make it. And you know, God has equipped me to handle this. And you know what? I mean, God's even equipped my body to respond. God's going to work this out. And those people are not dying because what the major issue with stress again is not stress. So here's, here's the bad news, I guess. Merry Christmas to you. Here's the bad news. You can't change the fact that life is stressful. Can I get an amen out there? Can we all agree with that? Okay, so we're all on the same page. You can't. Life is going to be stressful. That is unavoidable. So rather than, now listen, listen, let me, let me put a little caveat on that. You ought to avoid undue stress. So don't do illegal things. Does that make sense? Remember we talked about that? Don't, don't do illegal things. I don't have to stress out about that. Don't, to the greatest of your ability, don't disobey the ways and the commands of God because that will invite Undue stress. Here, Here's another, we were talking about this because there's an incident that took place and these people were in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing and they all got in trouble. And I thought, well, what's the common denominator? They invited undue stress because they chose to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and with the wrong People. So if people stress you out, there's certain people that you need to avoid as much as you possibly can. Why? Because they're just going to wear you. So don't invite undue stress. But outside of that, everything else is just a fact of life. It's going to be there. But here's the good news. And here's the few things I want to tell you. Number one is this, is you can change the amount of stress. Again, just by following the ways of God, you are going to at least remove certain undue stress. You can change the way that you look at stress. That stress is this thing that, you know what, God is going to use to somehow grow me, mature me, help me. I'm going to work through this. One day I'm going to share a testimony. One day I'm going to get on the other side of this, and I'm going to help somebody else, too, that's going through this as well. And so I, I can just change the way that I look at stress. And then lastly, you can just change what you do when you're stressed out. Now, to showcase this, there's a great story in the Old Testament. There's this guy named Elijah. Everybody say, Elijah. So there's this story. It's, it's found in the book of First Kings. If you want to go read it for yourself, start with about chapter 17. Just start reading forward. But there's this fascinating story that I want to tell you. And, and I'm going to read about 18 verses. And let me give you the context of what's going on here. So in the story that's taking place, Israel has been divided, okay? So the way it worked was is that kind of after King David and King Solomon, eventually there's kind of a split, almost like a civil war. So you got one nation in the north, and we'll call that Israel, and then there's another nation in the south, and they called that Judah. And in the north, all the kings are bad dudes. They're just bad people. They're all kind of wicked kings. And so there's this king named Ahab. Everybody say Ahab. So this king marries a foreign woman named Jezebel. Everybody say Jezebel. If you ever wondered, there's a couple girl names that you never name your daughter. One is Jezebel. The other one's Delilah, right? Why? Because they're crazy. And so... Uh that's why, that's why like, if you, even in culture, you be like that Jezebel, where did that come from? Well, that came from this Bible story, right? Cause Jezebel's nuts. And so what happens is, is that Ahab is a wicked guy and he brings in this foreign crazy woman named Jezebel and they just keep wrecking the country. They shut down worship in the temple. They start worshiping all these false gods. They rebuild the city of Jericho, which God had forbidden them to do. They just, they're just terrible, wicked people, idolatrous, evil, mean, wicked people. And so what what happens is this, is that God sends a prophet named Elijah to basically say, hey, look, you need to repent and turn back to God. You need to repent, change, turn back to God. Well, of course they don't. And so anytime that, that Israel would go on these long streaks of like disobeying and disregarding God, God would basically say, fine, okay, well, you know, hey, have it your way. And he would basically kind of pull back his blessing and would allow judgment and consequence to hit their life. And so what happens is that the, this is crazy, the prophet gets up and says, you know what, you're going to have a drought. Well, how long is it going to last? I don't know. I'll tell you later. And he just leaves. <laughs> like he literally just leaves. And so now they have this incredible drought. Now, while the drought is going on, Elijah is hiding out. He's like, look, I told you there's going to be a drought. When y'all repent, turn to God. We'll, we'll turn the water back on. So while he's doing that, though, this cra- crazy weird stuff. So he, he, he God sends him to this brook so he could have water, right? So he's at this brook called Cherith. And this is what's nuts. The Bible says that ravens bring him meat and bread in the morning and at evening. You're like, that is so weird. Now, the, the theory is this, because Ahab and Jezebel had set up these like idolatrous statues and were worshiping these pagan gods. What they had literally done is set up food to honor these gods. And the ravens would come and take the idol food and then bring it to the prophet to have lunch and dinner. So anyway, it's just kind of crazy. So eventually the brook dries up because there's a drought. And so then he goes to another town and he finds a widow and this widow has nothing. Literally the story goes, this It's a crazy fun story. The He goes to the woman and he goes, hey, I'm coming into your house and you're going to cook some food which I'm sure she appreciated. And she goes, well, actually, I can't do that because, well, I'm literally putting together my last meal. Me and my son had planned on eating this last meal and they were gonna eat it and die because we got nothing left. And Elijah's like, don't worry about that, I'm gonna work that. He does a miracle where she has food forever. And so he lives with this widow that takes care of him and provides for this, it's, it's nuts. So anyway, so God's taking care of him. So eventually what happens is, is God's like, okay, it's, it's time to go back. So Elijah goes back. And this, again, this is such a, this is the crazy, one of the craziest stories in the old Testament. If you've ever been around church, you kind of know this story. So when Elijah goes back, he has a throwdown. Does anybody know this story? He goes to Mount Carmel and he's like, you know what? This is it. I'm tired of putting up with y'all people. Worshipping other gods. So here's what I want you to do. All of you Baal prophet worshiper, idolatrous people, you're gonna get a cow, and you're gonna get an altar, and then here's what's, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a cow, and I'm gonna get an altar, and then we're gonna pray, and whoever's God answers by fire, that will be the one true God. So sure enough, these prophets of Baal come out, they start singing and dancing and cutting themselves, and hoopla, and all this stuff, of course, nothing happens. And, and Elijah's kinda like making fun of them, there's some like, there's some like, Kind of like humor in the text where he's like, well, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he went to use the bathroom. Maybe. And so he's using all this kind of like kind of mocking him a little bit. And finally, he's like, all right, y'all have had like all day and nothing's happening. I tell you what, here's my altar. Here's my sacrifice. As a matter of fact, bring some water, which what did they not have any of? Yeah, because it's drought. He's bring some water and dump it all over the altar and dig a ditch and pour the water and just cover it with water, which seems like a terrible idea. Because there's no water. Everybody's like, you're wasting water. We're all dying here. And so, so sure enough, he prays this little short prayer. It's like two verses long or something. And all of a sudden, fire comes down and consumes this offering. And then what does everybody do? Everybody's like, oh my gosh, everybody repents. Every, they kill all the bad guys, all the prophets of Baal. They kill them all. It's crazy. But now this is what happens though, because that sounds like a fascinating story, but you got to remember, These are all of Jezebel's buddies and friends. This is what Jezebel had established and started and gotten going. And this is all of her buddies that they just killed. So she's not real happy about this. And so this is where we'll pick up the story, right? 18 verses I'll read for you today. This is 1 Kings chapter 19, verse one says this. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me. Be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. What is she saying? She's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. That's what she is saying. She is basically saying, you done ruined my party. You've messed everything up I had going, and now I am going to kill you. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that would stress me out a little bit. Have you ever, you know, witness protection? Don't raise your hand. Obviously, that would give it away. If you've ever had somebody that wanted to kill you, that's stressful. You ever been like the prophet to an entire nation? It's kind of a big deal. It's a lot of responsibility. Have you ever been like, the weight of the nation is on your shoulders? The revival of a nation is on your shoulders, Elijah. It's all on you. That's a bit stressful. And then to have the queen, one of the most powerful people in the area, say, hey, by the way, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you. You and I would both be pretty stressed. I think my arteries would be like super tight, right? Like I would be wore out. And so what does Elijah do? Well, Elijah does what you and I would probably do. Verse three. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life, right? When somebody wants to kill you, that's biblical advice. You run for your life, right? So when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, (coughs) sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. So what else do you do? You're afraid, you run for your life, and then you get depressed and ask God to kill you. That's how you handle stress according to elijah now i'm not telling you that that's what you ought to do this is where we're just reading a story now let's figure out what we ought to do so so he prayed that he might die and he says i've had enough you ever said that before i've had enough i can't handle anymore the stress is too much i can bear i've had enough take my life i'm no better than my ancestors and then what do you do when you're depressed well you lay down and take a nap Because when you're depressed, that's what people do. They they sleep a lot. So all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Where did it come from? I guess the angel brought food. He ate and drank, and then what did he do? He took another nap. Right? Well, he's supposed to get up. He's like, I'll get up just because I'm hungry, and then I'm going back to bed. And so he's depressed. He's stressed out. He's war. I've had enough. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. He's having a bad go at it. This is a terrible, no good, very bad day. And so, but miraculous things are still happening though. The angel shows up and gives him food and water. It's this unbelievable story. So watch this. This is where it keeps going here. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord came back a second time. And he touched him again and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, which is the mountain of God. By the way, that's like the same mountain as Sinai. That's where Moses got the Ten Commandments. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, maybe there's some nuance here because there is something too that when you're stressed, one of the things that you might want to do is this, like check your diet. Because if you're stressed, and then because a lot of times when you're stressed, you don't want to eat, right? Have you ever been so stressed out? You're like, I haven't eaten for days, or wait, wait, eat. You gotta just get eat. It's good for your body to eat. You know what else is good? Check your check your sleep. Like if you're not getting good sleep, stress is harder. And then the next thing he does is like, you know what? You need some exercise. You're going for a walk. Forty days. That's kind of excessive. Yeah, you're going for a walk. You're going for a walk, mister. You're getting some food. You're going to get some some rest, and you're going for a walk. And maybe, 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 sometimes the best thing you can do is physically shake yourself out of your funk and force yourself. I'm going to force myself to eat a little bit. I'm going to try to my best to get good sleep, and then, bless God, I'm going to take care of my physical body. It's just something that I think is subtle that's going on in the background that you may want to consider. How's my diet? How's my sleep? And am I exercising? Because if I'm not doing those three things, life is automatically harder, and stress is going going to be more difficult to manage. So, but that's, that's neither here nor there. I'm reading into the text. Let's keep going. So it says that he goes to the mountain of God, which is Horeb. And there he went in <clears throat> into a cave and he spent the night. Now here's, here's what's going on here. Beersheba is like the southernmost part of Israel. And then again, Mount Horeb is down near Egypt, right? He's the prophet to Israel, but where's he at? He's in Egypt. So so God's trying to like, what are you doing here? Becomes the question, right? So what, look at this verse number nine. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here? I said, go for a walk. You took it too far. You're not supposed to be in Egypt. You're the prophet to Israel, right? So Elijah argues, which is what we do with God many times. You ever argue with God? He argues. He replies, well, I've been very, very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites... They've rejected your covenant. They broke down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He sounds like he's having a pity party. Cause that's what you do when you're depressed and stressed. You have a pity party. No one wants to be at your pity party though. And so literally, I want you to think about this. Everything he's saying is this. Well, what about me? I'm all alone. She's trying to kill me. Nobody cares. Israel's lost. I've failed. She's trying to kill me. Look, Lord, as I see it, this is all bad. And you know what God's saying? You should see what God says. Because God is basically going to tell you this. Well, Elijah, as I see it, you just had a big victory. We're on the brink of national revival, Elijah. As I see it, you're a champ. As I see it, you just had one of the most incredible miracles anybody's ever seen, ever. As I see it, I mean, think about this. As I see it, I've done nothing but like I had birds come and bring you food for crying out loud. Literally, I sent the birds. your whole life is a miracle. Everything I've I look just so this is this is the point. The point is is that everything that Elijah was experiencing was seen through a negative perspective. And if you ask God what his perspective was, it was completely different. It was like, are you kidding me? We're winning. Look, it's turning around. It's a revival. It's incredible. This is awesome, right? Like if I were Elijah, like I'd have been like getting everybody to sign up on my mailing list and give more money. And, you know, I'd have been like, let's, let's go and milk this thing. Not him. He's depressed. So look, look what happens. Elijah is arguing with God and he's staying in his funky, negative perspective. And so God's like, all right, fine. You don't want to listen? Fine. This is sermon illustration time. Because here's the point. Here's the point is that stress is not the circumstances of life. It's our interpretation of the circumstances of life. That's what stress really is. Because stress is inevitable. You're, go- you're going to have it. So when you get stressed out or undue stress or overwhelming stress, that's just your interpretation. Or we can say it like this. Our circumstances are not our problem. How we view our circumstances, that's our problem. And I'll prove it to you because watch this right here. The story, the story turns right here. Verse number 11. The Lord said, fine. You want to be Mr. Negative? Let's do this then. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord because I'm about to show up. I'm going to pass by. Now he doesn't. That's what's funny. He's like, no. Nah. So it says that he doesn't, it doesn't move. It just says then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. You know what God's doing? God is flexing his creative abilities. He's like, let me show you, okay, you think you're all alone, you think we're all hoes, you think it's all bad, you think woe is me, you think God's not going to do. Let me just, I'll just flex with some wind, right? So the wind comes by, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake. That's pretty impressive. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a a gentle whisper, or, or a different translation says a still, small voice. And so when Elijah hears the voice, this is so, he pulls his hoodie over his face, <laughs> and then he goes out finally, and he stands at the mouth of the cave, and the voice says to him again, like, what are you, what are you doing here? This is not what I called you to do. That you're in Egypt. I called you to Israel. What are you doing here? It's the same question. And so Elijah argues once again. You see this repeated, right? So if you argue with God, you're not alone. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. This is the same exact speech where he read this. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. But remember, the Lord has a different perspective. So he says to them, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, and also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shamphat, from Abel, M- Mahola? That sounds like, like Hawaiian, right? Mahola. Anyway. And anoint that guy to succeed you as the prophet. Now, what I just read is confusing, but let me make sense of it. Because to Elijah, it would have been like, what? No way. That's crazy. So what? What he's saying is this: He goes, "You know how the you think the world's on fire and it's all just everything's bad. Everything is what you don't know is this. I've already picked a new king over Aram, and 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 I've already picked a new king that's going to replace Ahab and Jezebel, and 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 I've even got you a successor already picked out. You know what God's saying is this: Um, even when you didn't know it, I've been at work behind the scenes always." Everything that you were stressed out about, what you didn't know is, is I've always had a plan. I've never been surprised. I've never been caught off guard. I've never said, wow, I didn't see that coming. I've never once not had a plan. And I need you to know that while you're stressed out and you can't see the invisible hand of God moving, that it is moving. And I've already began to orchestrate and move heaven and earth to arrange things in such a way because I am the God who is still in control of the future. And this is why we're stressed. We're ultimately stressed because we forget two things. And these are the two things that Elijah forgot. Number one is this. The first thing that Elijah forgot was this, is Elijah forgot what God had done for him in the past. Because if I just sat down with Elijah for a minute during his pity party, and I'm like, so wait a minute. So you're the guy that told rain to stop and it stopped. Whoa, 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 let me, just, let me just get this straight. I'm just doing a little interview here. You're the guy that had birds bringing him breakfast and dinner. You're the guy that took a widow's oil and made it last for a year or more. You're the guy that called down fire from heaven and then killed a bunch of dudes, by the way. I don't know what that was about, but you're, you're that guy? Well, I guess so, yeah. I guess I am kind of a big deal, right? Can you imagine if that was your life? If he would have only remembered that the entire time, my entire life, you can see the hand of God moving. And here's what I know about you. For any person who's put their faith in Christ and then looks backwards into the past, what you see, now you got to get a little bit further away from it, but the further and further you get away from it, you realize, you're like, oh, wow, look what God did there. Look how God prevented me from doing that. Look how, look how God moved that. Around. Look how God arranged that. And you can't see it until you look to it in the past. In the moment, you're distressed. But, in, it, but when you look at it in the past, you're like, man, God has always been faithful. He's always been with me. And if you will remember that, just like Elijah should have remembered that, but see, this is the other thing he forgot. He forgot that God was in control of his future. So when we think about the stress of life, we think about the weight that we're trying to carry, whether it's the time pressure, the money pressure, the responsibility of it all, never, ever, ever lose sight of the fact he has always been with you. He's never left you, never forsaken you. And you know what else is true? Even though you can't see it, the invisible hand of God is still moving to shape your future. And as long as you remember those two things, what you realize is, is, oh, stress is not my problem. Stress is inevitable. It's simply how I see my stress. It's the lens through which I see my stress. And if I'd ever see my stress in light of God's Past faithfulness. And if I ever look at my stress in light of God's future promises, you know, I tell myself, I'm going to be all right. It's hard. It stinks. It's not, but I'm going to be, I'm going to make it because God is with me. Here's what I want to do right now. Because to put this on full display, God has given us a tool. It's called communion. So right now we're going to receive holy communion and i 'm going to show you why communion is about your looking into the past at god 's faithfulness and then you 're looking into the future for God's promises. So here's what I want you to do. Ushers, if you could go ahead and begin to hand out the elements and as you hand out the elements. Now, here's the deal. If you have put your faith in Christ, then please receive communion. You don't have to be a member of this church in particular. It's just, no, no, I'm you're, I'm a member of the body of Christ and that's all that's necessary. And what we're going to do is we're going to receive communion and I'm going to read for you why we take communion. So Ushers, as you're passing out the elements, everybody try to hang in and stay focused with me for just one more minute. Because the Bible says this, Paul is teaching a group of people just like you and I, Christ followers, how to take communion. And this is what he says. He says, well, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and he said, well, this, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Everybody say, remember. He said, every time you do this, you're going to remember. Remember. And then he says it a second time. He goes, well, in the same way, after supper, he took a cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Everybody say, remember. Okay, that was kind of weak. You guys must be, like, distracted by little wafers. Everybody say, remember. Every time you take communion, you know what you do? You look into the past, and you look at the pinnacle of, of God's faithfulness towards humanity. Every time you take communion, you look at the, the single moment that maybe becomes the lens from which you should see all other moments. It's the cross and then the resurrection of Christ. That, that is the lens from which I should interpret all things. That's how I should actually interpret my stress. We, we said this a couple of weeks ago, that whenever I'm dealing with stress or maybe even take it deeper, anytime I'm dealing with pain, or trial, or suffering. I may not be able to make sense of the details and I may not be able to understand fully why, but I at least know this. Whatever I'm going through, it's not because he doesn't care. Because if he didn't care, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. If he didn't care, Jesus would not have hung on a cross. I don't know what all the answers are, but I know it's not that he doesn't care. So I begin to view everything. I begin to sometimes look at my stress and say, you know what? If Jesus could bear the weight of the world and the sin of humanity, past, present, and future on his body on the cross, you know what that means? That he lives in me. And because he lives in me, I'm an overcomer too. And I'm going to make it and I'm going to be a-okay. I'm going to buck up little buckaroo. I'm going to put on my big boy pants. I'm going to power through by the grace of God because sometimes I have to get up and remind myself his grace is sufficient. I'm going to be all right. So he says, as often as you do this, Remember Now, watch, watch, watch. It says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, look at the last part, until he comes. So there's the pinnacle of history that's already taken place in the cross. But the greatest future promise is still this, is that Jesus will come again. In some way, in some form, in some shape, in somehow, somehow, there is a resurrection of all things. So I look into the past at the, the, the really the pinnacle of God's love and faithfulness in the past, but then I also look into the future, and I recognize this: God is still in control. No matter what I'm experiencing right now, I need to remember God's past faithfulness, but I also need to remember His future promises. Now those are the big ones. But there's so many in between. God's consistent faithfulness in your life. God's specific promises towards your situation. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. The worship team is going to play. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment right now. And I want you to pray. I want you to have a private moment where you take communion on your own here. I want you to take all the stresses that are in your life. And for this moment, I want you to look into the past and be reminded of God's love and faithfulness towards you. I even want you to look in the future and know that God's still in control. Therefore, whatever you're experiencing right now, you can actually commune with God. And you're going to experience stress. But what you can do is this. The Bible says you can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. So, Lord Jesus, I pray for these great people, Lord God, that they in their heart would turn towards you. That They would put their faith and trust in you, God, that they would take the current stresses of their life. God, and they turn them over to you and walk away confident that you are with them. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.